welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Bless God. It's been a, a strange week uh, because in the back of all my thoughts is from my dear mom this morning. My father has been with the Lord now since 2016. Uh, Friday was his anniversary, and my dad was, uh, uh, you know, for most of the part, the reason why we have our church here today, because he was such a great man of faith and man of God. So just want to say to your mom that our thoughts and prayers are with you today and the whole weekend. And uh, we do, those of us who know, many of you won't know my dad, but those of you who do remember, remember his great joy and his faith, amen, and his steadfast commitment to the work of God. And uh, we thank God for men like him who have lived lives to the full and for the glory of God. And, you know, my dad can't hear me today. He's in heaven enjoying the rest of all his labors, amen. And, uh, but we certainly do remember back with great fondness. Uh, memorials are good. It's good to remember back. Amen. And uh, we have the greatest memorial of all when we come around the table of the Lord every time to remember the great work of our Savior and the great love that he gave for us. Will you bow your heads with me this morning as we go to God in prayer? And Lord, I do come before you today. Lord, I ask you, Lord, for your strength this morning. I ask you, Lord, you help me to bring out this thought that you put into my heart, Lord, so that it will be a blessing to your church, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, your name will be honored and that one more time you will truly speak from this pulpit. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you for your grace and your mercy so shed abroad in all of our hearts today, Lord. And we bless you now in your lovely name. Amen. 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 As well, good morning to all that are gathering online as well. There's quite a few who are watching us every week and uh, that are part of our online congregation. We want to welcome you as well. Pray the Lord's hand upon you this morning. Uh, turn, if you have a Bible, I hope you do, or a tablet or a device, to Genesis chapter 37. Uh, we're going to read from verse 12. A very, very well-known character here in the Scriptures, but never exhaustible. The Scriptures are an eternal word. They always speak to us. <coughs> Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flock at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing uh, the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. I am ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along. And Jacob said, Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. He said, what, what are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told them they have moved from here. But I heard him say, let's go down to Dothan. So Joseph went, followed them, his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him. Throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his, of his dreams. When Reuben heard of this scheme of theirs, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. <clears throat> why, should we ha- why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him in the cistern, an empty cistern here in the wilderness. 
then let him die without us laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return for him, return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off his beautiful robe that he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards him. It was a group of Ishmaelites trading and taking a, gum bar, a balm and aromatic resin down from Gilead to Egypt. Joseph said to, Judah said to his brothers, what would we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by Joseph's brothers, pulled them up out of the cistern and sold them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone. What will I do now? Then the brothers killed the young goat, dipped Joseph's, dipped, uh, dipped Joseph's robe in blood, and they sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we have found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately and said, Yes, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has been clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all continued to try to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianites traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. Probably one of the most well-known stories in, in the Bible is the story of Joseph. You know, you, you can imagine <coughs> being brought up in a family where you have a father, four wives, and uh, 12 other siblings. The rivalry was there. It was a very dysfunctional family. And uh, I do love that about the Bible. I mean, I was talking about my mom the other day, and we were talking about other religions of the world and other ideas and other so-called holy books that really are kind of books of propaganda because they tell you no negative thing about their prophet or no negative thing about their religion. But the Bible's not like that. The Bible tells you the good, the bad, and the ugly of all its candidates. And the overarching thing is the power of a God of grace and power that can deliver men from their own folly. And that's the tremendous story of the Bible. It doesn't seek to kind of put out there these perfect beings to say, no, no, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the miraculous thing about the Scripture is that it elevates the grace, love, and power of God to save us and rescue us from ourselves. And Joseph grew up in the home where at a very young age, he was at that time the youngest son, and his father loved him, the Bible says, Jacob loved him. There was that sort of, I don't know, maybe he saw something of himself in him. Jacob himself was known as a mild-mannered man that dwelt among the tents. In other words, a bit more cultured. He wasn't as a, a hairy and robust and manly as his other brother that went out hunting and fishing and fighting. And he was more probably the poet of the house, maybe more, you know, the songwriter, someone that liked the finer details of art and life at that time. And, and so he probably saw something in Joseph because Joseph, at the youngest age, there was a sense of the touch of God in him. 
and he would have dreams and God would give him these dreams and these dreams seemed very grand of course that seemed to elevate him among, above his peers uh, above his, even above his parents he had a dream of all these sheaves bowing before his sheave and, and it created no, no, no lack of controversy in the family because the father who loved him you know, he favored him and he showed that favor in giving him a, this, this beautiful garment this coat that he made himself so the father took time to make a coat for his son and it's a coat of multicolor. so again back in that time you know they died uh, you know basically everyone was in, everyone was kind of i won't say beige because that wasn't the color but everyone was dark colored and so yeah even to blend colors took a lot of time it took a lot of industry it even took finances because they didn't just go down to art and supply or go down to you know the home store and and and, and pull colors off the shelf that's not the world they lived in. So you can imagine the sons even more so. They'd lent that their father went to, to show his affection for his son and gave him this code. And <clears throat> they didn't at all appreciate the, this young man. Particularly, he seemed to be, in their eyes, a bit pretentious. And a lot of anger and hatred began to grow in their heart towards him. And eventually came out to where we see here, where this young man eventually is thrown into a cistern. And you know, a cistern is basically an empty pit Thank you. Number two. <laughs> I just have the one. Thank you. <laughs> John, you're a good man. It was John's birthday during the week, by the way, okay? God bless you. Thank you very much, John. <clears throat> He's hearing the raspiness in me. You're a good man. And uh, so you, you, we see the story. So this is a young man. And, and, and of course, he's, the Bible doesn't cite anything negative about the character of Joseph. People can infer or read into it. But the Bible doesn't say anything negative of his character or his personality. So I think it's, it's always well to, to not read into a text what the text is not saying. He was a very exemplary young man. There was something about him from the youngest of ages. Uh, he's young, he's innocent. He might not have had all the wisdom at that age and how he displayed the revelations he's getting. So that's no sin. That's just a lack of time to grow in wisdom and understanding. Uh, there's a God touch on him. And, I, and there's no doubt about it. He senses that. I have no doubt about it. I just thought that Jacob saw it in him. Saw something very different. I, I have no doubt about it that even his siblings saw it. I don't know what it is about human nature. <clears throat> but we all come from family units that... There's always one sibling that's a little bit more virtuous than the rest of us. <clears throat> There's always one that's that little bit, sees life a little bit more kinder and more purely and, and less selfish. And doesn't just rise the evilness inside you to just want to sabotage them that little bit more. I don't know what that is. Well, I do know what it is. It's called the sinful nature. There's something in the very heart and the core of man that when we're confronted with righteousness, you know, because we don't feel we, we match up, we, we want to drag it down. We want to bring it into the mud. We'll, we'll try to taunt them to break. And I'm not going to tell you which personalities in the Cassidy household were the antagonists, uh, and which were, were, the more, were the more kindly ones, but they were there. And by nature, so, and it wasn't them, it was just something in our own wicked natures that, you know, we want to drag it down. I always wondered about Jesus when, you know, of course, the, the perfect uh, son of the Father, who was shown great love by God the Father, who was sent into this world to see how his brothers fare, just like Joseph was sent to look and see how your brothers are getting on with the sheep, and God sends the son into the world to see how the sheep are getting on. And, and, and yet, full of grace and love and truth, and yet his presence begins, because he's so, he doesn't even have to speak, his presence begins to, 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 to convict people. You know, yeah, even the way no man speaks like this man speaks. He's, he's just, just Jesus being Jesus you know, created a reaction. And it was never a passive reaction. 
You, are, you know, you're, you're either, Jesus said, I'm never going to let you have a passive reaction. You are either for me or against me. There's no middle ground here. You know, and that's the provocation of the life and ministry of Jesus. He's either God or he's not. You better make up your choice today if, you're, if you haven't. And so, but yet Jesus' presence provoked so much hostility against himself. Not because he went around sinning and, and doing wrong or evil. He did good and righteous. He fed the hungry. He, he, you know, he healed the sick and the brokenhearted. He cast out demons, but brought a, the, the, the teaching of the kingdom, the hope of the kingdom of God to people. And yet there's something just provoked within him. I, I just want to get rid of him. He convicts me of too much. Joseph had a similar feeling. And it wasn't because of Joseph. It was because of what God had put into him. Nobody better than each other here. All good things come down from God, come from the Father of life, in, this, in whom there's no shadow or turning. And, and, you know, any good that you see in another person or me or in you, it's all come from Him. It's all originated from God putting it in there. But there's this, there's this part of our nature that sets His face against righteous things, and it's very destructive. It's very evil. It's, it, 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 it knows no boundaries, friends. It knows no depths of depravity. The inhumanity of people to take their own brother just out of jealousy and out of, out of a sense of I can't deal with my own sin so I'd have to get rid of anything righteous. That's what's happening in our world today with the whole, whole woke culture. The whole woke culture is to eliminate any voice of conviction. To silence every voice so we can get on without any conscience to do what we want to do. With any sense of reason, anyone that stands up with a reasonable thought, we have to silence you because we cannot bear conviction that we may be on the wrong path. If we get rid of every voice, then we can continue quite happily in our delusions and in our falsehoods, you know. But I want to tell you, friends, that the Holy Spirit still convicts men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's still active in this world. And why does he do that? Because he's concerned that people don't go down the wrong road. Not to show them up, not to rub your nose in your failure or your weakness or whatever that may be, but to show you that there's a conviction to a higher way. Amen. There's a conviction to a higher life. And so this young man, you know, he's, he's living you know, virtuously from what we can see all through his life. He's having dreams. His brothers are hating him. They don't even know why they hate him. Right, the dad loves him. But he also loves them. You know, you, you know they know this. There's just something in the spirit. to see him coming and the violence that they're planning in their heart, the darkness. And you know what? We can all identify with that. <clears throat> We've all had envy in our hearts. <clears throat> We've all had anger in our spirit. Against somebody are the close or far from us, murderous thoughts. Not that you go, go out and hire a hitman, but you know, you wouldn't care if they fell off a cliff. You, know, you, know, you mightn't push them over the cliff, but you'd hold the coat of the person who would. <clears throat> so that, that is in all of our spirits. And they see him coming, and they, they concoct their plan to, first of all, murder him, but then to get a bit of conscience. The older brother says, we can't do that. He wants to save him. Eventually, they sell him into, uh, to be a slave in Egypt, and they forget all about him, and they bring this, this story back to the father, soaked his garment in blood, bring it back, and the father is devastated, right, right to old age until the happy ending at the end. But all those many, many years, thinking his son was savagely eaten uh, and killed by a wild animal, and his heart broken, and they're watching that day and night, knowing that their sin is ever before their father, knowing that their sin is always breaking his heart. You know, our sin was always before the heart of God, our Father. Always aching in his heart, knowing what sin was doing to us and to this created world. And yet this young man, and I think about him, I just think he's such an amazing, amazing character. 
how can he do this? How can he? You don't hear him replying back, you know, with, 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 with either, you know, slap talk or whatever you call the word. No, nothing coming, no, no reviling back, no fighting back. There's an innocence here, there's a purity in him. It reminds me, of course, because he is the most perfect example of a type of Christ that we have in the scriptures. He opens not his mouth. The <clears throat> Bible doesn't talk about anything that he says to fight his case. Like our Savior didn't open his mouth, he, you know, when questioned, like, led like a lamb to the slaughter. But there was something in this young man, and, and, and we're going to see it here. There's something that held him all of his life. Something that kept him together. Something that, that gave him a sense of, it's not over yet. It can't be. It actually can never be over. And actually, that's where we get to with the story of Joseph. Joseph's story is that it can never be over. It can never be over. And so he has to go through many processes in his life because God is also teeing up a, a fulfillment of his prophecy that is going to bring about a, a nation, give them a homeland, the savior of the world is going to come through this lineage. And all this is happening. So provision will have to be made to cocoon and look after that fledgling family that will eventually become a nation. And so he knows this. He knows the call of God. He knows it's a plan. He knows it's much bigger. And he knows it's an everlasting plan. And it keeps him motivated. And I want to tell you, Christian, this morning, if you keep your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith this morning, and if you understand that it ain't over, even death itself isn't over, amen. When you understand that nothing can separate you from the love of God, I want to say it gives you the ability to endure many hostilities and many dry times and even the aggression and hatred of others. Something holds you together even when your mom and your dad are gone, even if they had forsaken you or they're just not here anymore. Even if your family turned your back on you, there's something in the heart of this man, Joseph, that was so full of faith, so knowing that God had given him a prophecy, that he also knew the stories of old. The, the stories came right through from the Garden of Eden that there was going to come a day when the Savior of the world was going to come through their lineage. Everything was in this man's lineage. Everything was in this man. He understood it. Didn't quite maybe understand all its outworkings, or maybe he did sometimes Maybe we don't give enough credibility to how much the ancients understood of the promise of the Proto-Evangelium of the seed of the Garden of Genesis. Dysfunctional, wickedness, backbiting, hate. But you know what? There comes a time when you have to stop with the why does it happen to me? That's one of the takeouts from Joseph, isn't it? You don't hear that, but I know someone who says that all the time. So do you. Why does it always rain on me, on me that your song? Cause, was it because I lied when I was 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, all the way down, friend? There comes a time in a Christian when we have to start maturing and understanding from the patriarchs and the examples of Scripture. That you have to stop with the why. Why is it always happening to me? Why is it always going wrong? Why are they always against me? And begin to ask yourself a different question. What is God doing? What is God doing in me and through me? What are the plans and purposes of God in this situation? In the world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. There's another way of looking at the trial. And I believe the only way he can sustain it is by looking at life this way. There's no other way you can go through what he went through. He is a slave in Egypt. He works diligently for Potiphar. His wife tries to lure him in. She is insulted because he won't take her overtures to, 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 to become lewd with her and ends up falsely accused of trying to have his way with her, ends up in the prison for nearly 12 years. 
You cannot hold on to your faith, friends, unless you've learned what is God doing. Hallelujah. What is the purpose of God in this? I don't know it yet, but I know there is. I don't know. I don't see it yet, but that's my faith, but I know there is. My faith is to say, I know there's a purpose. I may not see it. I don't know where I'm going, but I know right now there's still purpose in my life. There's still purpose in the trial. There's still purpose in how I'm living my life. God is in control. It's the only way you can see it. It's the only way you can get through whatever you're getting through today. You're going through today, Christian. Whatever your trial, whatever your circumstances, and I, I won't belittle them because I know many of you are facing health issues, your health, financial issues, you have some levels of delinquency in your home, some marriages are under problems, some have interpersonal family issues, some are facing housing insecurity, and they're no small things. They're not to be belittled. They're not to be kind of regarded as not happening. They are happening. But in the midst of that, there has to be in the heart of the Christian an understanding that God is willing and working His good pleasure. There's pain in the offering. There's difficulty in this world, friends. There's no doubt about it, but something held this man together. And I, I, I think we, we begin to see it augment towards the end of his life, of course. And we know what happens. His story is amazing. They need to make another blockbuster. We need to get Mel Gibson on this one. It's a phenomenal story. Because he eventually becomes elevated to number two in all of Egypt. And there's something about this man in Egypt. I mean, you go to Egypt today, every second male is Joseph. So he had, a, he had a real impact in that nation. There he is elevated because of the gifting of God. Because he held on to his confidence. He held on to his faith. He didn't go, oh, why is me? Why is, woe is me? Why always me? Why not them? He knows there's a purpose. He knows for the very reasons that God has brought him to the trial. He's elevated to that place and eventually his brothers come with cap in hand, not knowing it's him. But they're coming as quite broken men. They've now lived many years in regret over what they've done. They don't know how to fix it. There's famine in their land. They have to go to Egypt to get grain to bring it back. They go there and there's a whole exchange of relationship. And then eventually there's this unmasking of who Joseph was. They didn't recognize him, of course. Joseph had become native at this stage. He lived most of his life in Egypt uh, than, than before. He was only a young boy. He's over 20 years now in Egypt. He's, he's got the makeup. He's got the eyes the way the Egyptians do it. He dresses like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. So they're not looking for him. They come in. They can't recognize him. They don't see him. And there's this incredible revelation of who he is eventually to his brothers after he tests their heart. You know, God tests your heart. He does test your heart. I've met the casual seeker. Do you know the casual seeker? I met him on, I've stood on street corners, preached the gospel. The casual person is, well, if you show me God, I'll believe in him. The casual man is, oh, I asked, I prayed to him once and he never answered. You know, the, the, the casual one is the sort of just flick the coin sort of person. It's like I switched the light switch and it never came on. You know, I, 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 I called the God of everything into order and to listen to me and he never answered. Well, really? Does that surprise you? You'll even get less of a response from the President of the United States, let me tell you. And he's way beneath the pecking order of who needs to be worshipped and adored. The casual. There's a testing of the heart. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro the earth to see whose heart is after him. Are you after him? Are you seeking him? Is it your life's goal to get to know the reason of life? To get to know the order of life? The purpose of life? Or are you just filling it with the temporary? 
Is that all that matters to you, the physical things that will pass away and end you with a life of full regret? You'll become an old man, old woman one day, you'll look back and it's all gone like a vapor and now you're facing eternal life or eternal death. And so Joseph, all the way through his endeavors, all the way through his trials, all the way through his administrations of life, he administrated the entire empire of Egypt, navigated them through famine, and brought to them wisdoms that came from God, and then brought his family into safety, eventually brought them into Egypt, and of course they were cocooned there for hundreds of years. But I want to get to the I want to get to the point this morning. I just feel the Lord really blessed me with this last night when I was reading more about this. In Hebrews 11, it said, By faith, Joseph, towards the end of his life, spoke the exodus to the sons of Israel. And he gave them instruction concerning his bones. And actually, you go to Genesis 50, the last chapter there. And Joseph is on his deathbed and his brothers are gathered in. There's now been this reuniting of the family. There's a healing gone on. And, you know, there on his deathbed, he he says to his brothers, God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land into the land of promise that Abraham was given and Isaac and Jacob. But he says, when God comes to your aid, carry my bones And I loved it because there's something about this man, friends. What is he saying? When I'm old, there's still the purposes and promises of God. God's not finished even with my death. And death is not final. And he's also telling them something. I'm not finished even in death. And I want you to understand that, Christian, because there is a revelation to this man way back in the old covenant that death is not final, that there's a resurrection from the dead, there's a reconstituting. I, I know I preached this thought a, a few weeks ago. This is an, a, a part, the B-side, if you want. But there's something so powerful, so enriching here that he would give instructions to his family when you're going to come up out of the land of Egypt into the land of promise that God's going to give you. He was certain, I want you to bring my bones with you. God's not finished with me either. Hallelujah. I will rise again. I will rise in the land of Israel. I will see the, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I began to think of my own father, who's now with the Lord seven years. It's been amazing. God's not finished with him. We put his bones in the ground. But we put his bones not like men who have no hope, friends. Oh gosh, no, no. That's not the Christian's way of burying. No, we miss him. It's a journey before we see him again and you see your loved ones again. But not for us, friends. It's it's not the same because we say, no, those bones are coming back to life again. Ezekiel was absolutely right. Bone to bone, sinew to sinew, flesh over the whole thing. Friends, I want to tell you, God's not finished. This man knew all his life that God was not finished, even to his dying breath. Even as I die, God's not finished. Hallelujah. Take my bones to that land. I love the hymn, There is a land of pure delight where saints immortal reign. Eternal day eclipsed the night and pleasures banish pain. 
Hallelujah. We are walking through Emmanuel's ground and soon we'll hear the trumpet sound and then we shall with Jesus reign and never, never part again. Hallelujah. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hold on to your confession, the scripture says. Hold on to your confidence. It'll be richly rewarded. Oh, church, don't lose hope because of your failing health or your physical circumstances. Don't despair because of all the unbelief that you see around you today. Joseph's brothers, they're sitting there. They're wide-eyed at this old man. You know, they're still not catching it. They're probably not fully embracing the revelation. Like some today, unfortunately, are not stepping into the revelations of these truths. And you need to say, God, open my eyes to what the pastor is saying. Because there has to be more than just the physical realm around me and my career and my loved ones. And I'm telling you, there is. They're totally oblivious to the promises of God. As many can be within the house of God. They turn the gospel into the prosperity gospel. Health and wealth and money and happiness. You're going to have to leave it all behind. You'll be wanting to cleave to the earth when God wants to bring you to heaven. I want to tell you why. Because I've got a big mansion. I've got a big car. I don't want to leave that behind me. Oh my God, there's nothing compared to the riches that are in heaven, friends. They have need a revelation of that. Not Joseph. Joseph lived in that revelation all of his life. That's what saw him through the difficult times. The parched times, the dry times, the aggressive times. He is as powerful on his deathbed as he was, as he was on the throne of Egypt. He understood before Paul ever penned it in Romans 8, what then shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine or nakedness, peril or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Get my bones and bring them with you. Amen. When you put you and me in the ground, you say to our sons and our daughters, I'll see you soon. Hallelujah. It's not over yet for me. Don't you write me off as some sort of disembodied spirit. Oh no, don't take me from who I am as a human being. God will reconstitute everything. I will walk with you again. I will talk with you again. I will fellowship with you again in the Beulah land of heaven. Hallelujah. This is the confidence that Joseph had. This is what he took to his grave. This is how he tried to inspire his brothers and his one sister, Dina, and his sons that God had blessed him with. Carry my bones. There is a resurrection. There is a future. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he will live in the resurrection. And those who live in the resurrection and believe in me will never die. Everybody will be resurrected. Believers are unbelievers, but the believer will never die. He will never die. He said that to Martha. Do you believe this? Is, her answer was this. Whatever Martha's shortcomings were in John 11, yes, Lord, I believe. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord, I believe. Oh, the first Peter talks about being good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And the manifold word I've preached to you before is taken from the multicolored garment of Joseph. That's, it's, they believe that Peter borrowed it from that text in Genesis. That we must, be ma- we must be good stewards of the multicolored grace of God that's upon our life. Hallelujah. So, 
something so confident about his statement, carry my bones. God's not finished. Death's not final. And I'm not finished either. Don't write me off. He's bringing me back. There'll be a great reunion. There's going to be a meeting in the air. In the sweet, sweet by and by. Joseph teaches us to live our lives in the light of this immortal truth, this eternal truth. That death can swallow up nothing. That he conquered death. He conquered the grave. And you and I, friends, in our hearts this morning, whatever despair, and I won't belittle your trial. I want to tell you, you are to be a steward in the midst of that trial of the multicolored grace of God in your life. So whatever your trial is today, there's a grace to meet it. There's a grace to meet that trial. Just as the Father loved jo- Joseph, so God the Father loves you, gives you that code of grace in every circumstance. But what will keep you alert and alive and in victory will be able to, to be, is to be able to stand in the middle of that trial and say, it isn't finished. And actually, fact, it's never finished for me. It's never the end. Because he will bring me back again. Death is swallowed up in victory. It has no way of terminating you. No way of alienating you, friends. In actual fact, he lived all his young life into his old age, friends, and began to empower his family around him by saying, you too need to understand that it's not over for you either. That your bones will come back. That your identity, who God made you. That God is reconciling all things to himself. Oh, I want to tell you, Sin doesn't win the day. Can you say amen? amen? The power of the grave doesn't win the day. And so, Joseph, carry my bones. There'll come a day when Joseph's bones will come back together. And he will be reconstituted in the land that, that was promised to his ancestry. He will be in the land of Israel. I look forward to meeting him one day. You'll meet him too, I'm sure. He will rise there. He will meet those loved ones of old that were precious to him. He will meet a lot of new loved ones that he's never met and never known about. He's probably met a lot of them in heaven already, but a lot on the earth still. And I want to tell you, friends, I love it. There is that land of pure delight where saints immortal reign. Carry my bones, Lord. Strengthen my bones, Lord. For what can separate me from the love of God? Why would you endure what he endured unless you knew, unless you had a revelation? God, give us a revelation so that we can endure such hostilities. Consider him. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, To the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, Andy. This is Mike. Thank you. Well, well done. Thank you, Jesus. Is it all gone? One, two, are we gone? You can still hear me, yeah? yeah. So-
a great auditorium. I'm going to raise my voice to you. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy that was awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not given your life struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as children? My child, do not make light the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects. For the Lord disciples those he loves, disciplines, sorry, those he loves, and punishes each one he accepts as a child. Oh, friends, endure in faith. Endure believing this morning that he who started that work within you will be faithful to complete it. And so the epitaph for every Christian will be tell your children on your gravestone, put on, carry my bones. Put them here for safekeeping for I'll rise again. God's not finished with me. Death's not over. Hallelujah. It doesn't have the last say. It doesn't have the last laugh. I will rise again and I will see you all again in the Beulah land in the land of heaven. Now, I want you to stand with me this morning. I just want you to thank the Lord where you are. Just begin to praise him this morning. Hallelujah. Can you just raise a hand of praise to the Lord? Just raise your hands to him right where you're standing and say, oh God, it's not the end. And Joseph has taught me something this morning. Oh God, let my family carry my bones. Should I precede them, oh God? And let me have that confidence that you will come back. And you will take that spirit, you will reunite it with that body. And I will see my friends of old, my family of old, and all the new brothers and sisters that rise in Christ. That is our life, friends. That is our hope. That is the hope of the gospel. I want you to think of the dear ones this morning as in good memory that have preceded you. Moms and dads and siblings, loved ones, uncles and aunts, fellow Christians that we miss dearly. Amen. I want to tell you it ain't over yet. And they're not finished. And do not write them off as a memory only. And don't write them off and that's the end because that's not the end. Joseph told us that's not the end. You just hold those bones for a while. I'm coming back for them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I said he's coming back for them and I'm coming back for them as well. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you this morning. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you this morning, Lord. That Lord Jesus, you loved us so much, Lord, that you would give us such hope. Now I pray, God, for every believer, myself most of all, God, that, Lord, in the hour of trial, Lord, in the times of disappointment, even in the times of famine and nakedness and peril and sword, I ask you, Lord Jesus, that, Lord, you would give us that revelation that it ain't over. And even when our eyelids close in death, Lord, and we soar to worlds unknown, Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that our bones are in that ground, Lord, awaiting again that transformation and that promise. Oh, we thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. Lord Jesus, we thank you for enduring such hostility against yourself from such sinners, Lord, for the joy that was set before you. And even us now, Lord God, we set that joy ahead of us too, God, the joy of face-to-face engagement with you, the joy, Lord, of, Lord, that reunion, Lord, of everything being brought back, Lord, and harmonized to yourself. We want to bless you this morning. 
Come on, raise your hands. Just love the Lord where you are this morning. Take courage, Christian. Take courage this morning. Take courage for your loved ones that have gone on. Don't weep the same way as the world weeps. Yeah, they're gone for a long journey, but you know you're going to see them again. Yeah, it's difficult. There's pain in that. But, oh, carry my bones as well. Thank you, Jesus, with a promise upon them of eternal life. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Come on. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless. Thank you.